headed this morning. I want to talk to you this morning about the greatest love of all. Mark chapter 12, verse 28 through 34, the, the greatest love of all. Let's read the text this morning. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing or debating with one another. And seeing that he answered them well, asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? Okay, so that's the crux of what's going on this morning in our text. Is There's a question that's on the table, and the question is, of all the commandments, which is the most important? Jesus answered, the most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Man, we could, we could stop right there and we could spend an enormous amount of time just fleshing that out. But, but we won't this morning. But I just want to point out, there's a, there's, a, there's a lot being said in that one verse. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, you are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one and there's no other beside him. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding, with all the strength, and to love one neighbor as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. Now, that end, the whole burnt offerings and sacrifices, uh, he is referring back to an Old Testament event where uh, one of the Old Testament characters said about the Lord that he desires obedience rather than sacrifice. And so that's where that end phrase comes from. And it's really the heart of the Bible is that the Lord desires obedience rather than sacrifice. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared ask him any more questions. And I'm sure, and I'm glad Jesus was glad that they were done with all of their questions. Um, so let's, let's set the context again. Let's remind ourselves of where we are in the life of Jesus. We are now, we are still on Tuesday. This Tuesday is a, is a very long day. Um, Jesus has been inundated uh, uh, on Tuesday with one series of questions after another from one religious group after another. And we are, you know, the, the, the minutes and the hours are counting down. As I said last week, um, by Friday afternoon, Jesus will have been crucified and his body will have been lay, laid in the grave. And so um, we are less than 72 hours from that event. But there is a lot that takes place in the life of Jesus in these remaining hours and few days that he has left on planet earth. On Tuesday, these enemies of Jesus began an onslaught of questions attempting to 
discredit not only the ministry of Jesus, but they're just trying to discredit Jesus altogether. We, we saw this back in Mark chapter 11, verse 27 through 33, where the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders question him uh, concerning his authority. They ask him, Jesus, I mean, who do you think you are? I mean, really, you, you, you do all these uh, uh, great miracles. You, you have all of these wonderful sayings. You, you have all these controversial sayings. I mean, really, who, who gives you the authority to do all of that? And then in Mark 12, 13 through 17, the Pharisees and the Herodians come questioning Jesus concerning taxes. And then in Mark 12, 18 through 27, which we looked at last week, um, the Sadducees question him concerning the afterlife. And in today's text, we have a single scribe who questions him concerning what is the greatest commandment. He, this, this scribe or this lawyer, uh, he is really he's quite different from the previous religious leaders that have come at Jesus and that um, this man is truly and genuinely seeking truth. He is uh, not necessarily here to try to, uh, uh, to harm Jesus or harm the ministry of Jesus or harm the reputation of Jesus. He really is a true seeker of wisdom and knowledge and he, he truly wants to know what Jesus has to say about the subject. What he's asking here when he says, what is the greatest of the commandments? Uh, he wants to know which one of them has the most weight because this was the most often debated question among the religious leaders, uh, and that is, which of all of the commandments is the greatest? Uh, they like to count and categorize the commandments. They argued about which ones could be blown off and really which ones had to be kept. Sounds a lot like us today, right? Those of you that are teachers, how many times have your students raised their hand and said, do we need to know that for the test? Because really what they're asking is, hey, teach, can you tell me what's really going to be on the test and what's not going to be on the test? What do I need to spend my time studying and what can I just blow off? And that's kind of what they're after here. They really want to know what's most important. They, they really want to know, hey, Jesus, in the grand scheme of life, what do we really need to obey and, and, and what is... What can we really just overlook? You see, we generally think of there being Ten Commandments, right? But the Pharisees and these religious uh, guys, Herodians, scribes, Pharisees, Sadducees, they spent their life going through the Old Testament, and what they did is they had cataloged in the Old Testament 613 commandments. Not 10, 613. Now, they divided those into subcategories. They had the category that they called the positives. And those, those made up 248 commands. So there are 248 positive commands which say do this or do that. Then there were... 365 negative commands. Don't do this, don't do that. I guess you could say for them, a don't a day was supposed to keep the devil away, but that's not kind of the way that works out, right? But so they, that's how they had broken them down. That's how they had categorized them. And the answer that Jesus gives summarizes 
the entire teaching, summarizes all 613 commandments, and even more so, summarizes the Ten Commandments. Now, if, if I was going to kind of, again, give you a one-sentence statement to kind of help you to understand what's going on in this text, this is kind of how I would teach it to you. I'd just give you this one sentence. We obey the greatest commandment because God is the greatest, and by doing so, we meet our neighbor's greatest need. You might want to write that down. That's a, that's, a, that's a pretty good statement to ponder on. We obey the greatest commandment because God is the greatest. And I'm going to show you how this works out. And by doing so, we meet our neighbor's greatest need. I want us to learn how to love God and love our neighbor by examining this text today. Because I think that's why it's in the Bible. It's in the Bible to teach us how to love God and how to love our neighbor. So it's going to be pretty simple. We're going to have three basic points, which seems like that's kind of what we do every week. We have three simple teaching points. So teaching point number one is this. There is a compelling question that's being asked. Which is the greatest commandment? There's a compelling question that needs to be asked. And like I said, it's compelling because it is the most often debated question among the religious leader. Which commandment is necessary in importance to obey? Which is the one that we need to know in order to get life right? Well, notice what verse 28 says. One of the scribes came up and heard him and heard them disputing with one another and seeing that he answered them well, asked him, which is the greatest commandment of all? And so we see the, the source of this compelling question. And the source of this compelling question is uh, the scribe. He, he's a teacher of the law. Um, he, he is a man that has devoted his life to understanding uh, uh, such information, such truth, such teaching. This man spent his life debating the weightiness of these 613 commands. He genuinely and sincerely wanted to know which commandment must be kept above all else. And listen, this is not the first time a lawyer had come to Jesus asking him uh, a question like this. If you remember the story of the Good Samaritan, that's found over in Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 28. Uh, uh, Luke records Jesus' encounter with a lawyer who was seeking an answer, but his approach to Jesus was a little different. He wasn't really sincerely seeking information as much as he was, the Bible says, he was trying to put Jesus to the test. But he came to Jesus as a lawyer, and he asked him, um, he said, what's the, what's the greatest commandment? Here it is in verse 27. Jesus, or he says, what must I do to have eternal life is the question. He says, Jesus, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And so Jesus says, this is what's most important. This is how you know that you're in the kingdom of God. 
Jesus is not saying this is what you do to have eternal life. This is, what you, th this is the way you live, and by living this way, you know that you have eternal life. And Jesus would go on to tell him the story of the Good Samaritan, which we'll get to uh, at, at the end of the sermon. So this question is compelling because of, uh, of, the, of its source, but it's also compelling because of its substance. Because of its substance. If there's an order of importance, if, there's, if, if something is greater than all else, then knowing what that is becomes life's most important pursuit. Jesus doesn't give them new information, and I love that about Jesus. He's not ever telling us anything new. He's just making sure that we understand what's already been written. He simply reminds them of what they already know. Jesus' answer is found in your Old Testament in Deuteronomy chapter 6 and chapter 15. And it's also, and, and that's where we find out about how we love God. But also in Leviticus 19, the Bible teaches us how we love our neighbor. Here Jesus connects the dots and says that they are not two commandments, but one. So look back at verse 31 real quick. I know that, Je look at what Jesus says. He says, the second is like this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But look at this next sentence. He says, there is no other commandment greater than these. You see what? Either Jesus is trying to tell us something or he's got bad English. Right? He says, the first, love, your, love the Lord God, all your heart, soul, mind, strength. Then he says, and the second is love your neighbor as yourself. But then he says, there is no other commandment, singular, not plural, not, not, I mean, if he was talking about two commandments, he would say there is no other commandments greater than these, but he says, there is no other commandment greater than these two. What is he saying? That what, what appears to really be two commandments is really just one commandment. It's just one commandment. What is Jesus saying? He is saying that when you love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, guess what happens? You love your neighbor as yourself. You know what Jesus is really saying to us? Do you want to know how much you love me? Look at how much you love your neighbor. Uh-oh. Anybody in trouble? Jesus is saying, you really want to know how much you love me? How much do you love your neighbor? Why? Because if you love your neighbor, you only love them because you first love me. We'll get to more of that in a second. But it's a compelling question for one other reason, because it's the Savior. It's a compelling question because it's the Savior. No one better to ask which of the laws is the greatest than the one who wrote the law to begin with, right? I mean, like, if you really want to know, hey, what did you mean by that? You just ask the person who wrote it and said, hey, what is the greatest? There's no one better to make clear what is cloudy in so many minds. And that's what Jesus does. 
Look what verse 28 says. And one of the scribes came up to him and heard them disputing with one another and seeing that he answered them well. That's, that's why he came to Jesus. Because he, he understood something about Jesus that, you know what, Jesus, I, he, he had been watching these other people come at Jesus and ask him questions, and he had been observing how well Jesus answered these questions. And that's exactly why he went to Jesus, because he's, he's like, you know what? This guy really understands how to answer all of these questions that we're always debating. But what's really unique about Jesus is that he, he is answering these questions with the information that we all already know. But he's answering it in such a way that it makes sense. It's, it's understandable. He, he's, he's answering them well. So let's look at this answer that Jesus gives. He gives a concise answer. You may say, well, what, what does concise actually mean? It's a, kind of a common word. If you are in school and you had to go buy a dictionary um, for school, you might have seen that there's the Merriam-Webster dictionary, but Merriam-Webster also has a dictionary called the Merriam-Webster Concise Dictionary. Well, what does this word concise mean? Well, concise just means covering much in a few words. And I know what you're thinking. How come preachers can't do that? How come we can't have concise sermons? Y'all want the answer to that? If y'all did better listening, we wouldn't have to say so much. But sometimes we have to talk so long because y'all don't seem to hear too well. Jesus takes 613 commandments. Think about it. He takes six, They have been arguing over 613 commandments. And Jesus says, here it is. You can't get it any more concise than this. Love God, love people. Anybody? anybody you, look, that's five words. You can't get it any more concise than that. Love God. Love your neighbor. When God gave the Ten Commandments to Moses on Mount Sinai, he, he gave them on two tablets expressing this teaching. The first tablet had four commandments on it. And all of those commandments had to deal with loving God. Then on the second tablet, he put commandments 5 through 10. And those commandments told us how to love our neighbor. In the commandments, the Lord, in the commandments, the Lord was teaching his people if they loved him the way his commandments taught, commandment one through four, they would love their neighbor like they should in commandments five through ten. Listen, if you if you can keep the first four commandments, you'll have no problem keeping commandment five through ten. If you're breaking commandments 5 through 10, it's because you're not keeping commandments 1 through 4. That's not rocket science. That's just simple, basic, deductive reasoning. Keep commandments 1 through 4. You'll have no problem loving your neighbor. If you're not loving your neighbor, it's because you can't keep commandments 1 through 4. That's the way it works. Now, let me, let me stop and let me interject something here. Remember, the law was not given because... 
He saved them. The, the law was given after he saved them out of Egypt. So the law does not come before salvation. The law is given after salvation. You see, here's what, here's what the Ten Commandments were really given to do. The Ten Commandments were given to show us how we love God and say thank you to God, and it, and it was given to help us to love the people around us. It wasn't given for us to keep in order to be right with God. God gives us the law afterwards to show us how to be in a loving relationship with Him and with our fellow man. Now, here's what the law can do. You can use the law to, to see that, you know what, you're really not a good person. That's what the law shows us. The law shows us, too, how incapable we are of saving ourselves because none of us keep the law. None of us obey completely and perfectly the Ten Commandments. Listen, either write this down, think about it, take a picture of that with your phone, whatever you want to do. That, that, that's, a, that's a pretty strong statement. And this is, this, is, this is the heart. This is the heart of what we're trying to get at this morning. It's not our words that express love for God, but our ways. Listen, you can sing about loving Jesus. You can talk about loving Jesus. But the only way that love for God is expressed is in our ways, not our words. Talk is cheap, right? Isaiah 1, go read Isaiah 1. God says, quit singing song, love songs to me. That's my interpretation of it. I think if you read it in the Message Bible, it almost comes out like that. I think that's the way Eugene Peterson in part of that, almost interprets that. Quit singing love songs to me. Why? Because you honor me with your lips, but your heart is far from... What is he saying when he says your heart is far from me? He means your, your obedience is non-existent. You sing love songs to me, but then you go out and you live just the opposite. God doesn't care about what you say. Though he does, he cares most about what you do. Let me just give you some verses. I'm going to go through these fast, so write these down. These are love verses you, you need to write down. If you love me, you will... How about that? So when people say, well, how do I love God? Do what he says. Do what he says. In, in raising our two girls... One of the things we constantly talked about was, you know, they would, they would break a command, not a Bible command necessarily, but my command, don't do this. And then they'd break it, and then what I hear, Daddy, I love you so much. Daddy, I love you so much. And that's just because they didn't want the hammer to drop down on them. You know, whether that would be, you know, uh, punishment of taking something away or, you know, you know whatever it might have been. And I'm like, if you love me so much, why didn't you do what I say? 
Because if you really love me, you'll do what I say. And that's true. That's what love is. If you believe I love you and I say don't do that, and I'm saying that because I love you, then you should do that because you love me. All right. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. Now, I do want to say something to you. John 14 and 15, where these verses, majority of these are coming, guess what this is? This is taking place on Thursday. So if you want to kind of put this in, in your mind, this is happening the day before Jesus is crucified. This is some of Jesus' final words. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manif manifest myself to him. John 14, 23, Jesus answered him and said, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and he will come to him and make our home with him. John 15, 10, If you keep my commandments, you abide in my love, just as I've kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. So look, listen to what Jesus said. Jesus said, Hey, you want to know how I love God? I kept his commandments. You want to love God? Keep his commandments. 1 John 2, 3, same guy, different book. And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Uh-oh. What is that saying? How do you know that you're saved? You don't keep all the commandments perfectly, but the aim of your life is obedience. And when you fail in your obedience, you cry out to your Father, and he forgives you. One more. 1 John 5, 3. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments, I love this, they are not burdensome. You know what that means? You can't look up at God and say, God, what you're asking me to do is so hard that I simply can't do it. It's not burdensome. Why? Because God put inside of you, if you're saved at the moment of salvation, this person called the Holy Spirit who dwells inside of you and the Bible says that that spirit that Holy Spirit he is your helper he helps you to do what God tells you to do therefore God can say to you and these commandments are not burdensome they're they're not impossible they're not beyond the, your capability unless you don't have the Holy Spirit or unless you're not trusting in the Spirit's help in those situations. All right, let me get to the last point and we'll finish on time. Matter of fact, all of you, I hope, you know, in, in bygone um, years, um, people have closely tracked my uh, proclivities to exceed the 12 o'clock hour, the appropriate time to finish the sermon. As my grandfather said, if you can't strike oil in 30 minutes, quit boring. But I have noticed that there has not been much chatter at the back door about all the Sundays of recent that I have strung together that you have been out or the sermon has been completed at the top of the hour. I just want you to know that that hasn't gone unnoticed on my part. And I will attempt and aim this morning in the last eight minutes, according to my clock, to finish this final point. And I will take your pat on the back as you leave this morning at the back door and a handshake and whatever. That's just me having a little fun with y'all. How about a close proximity? 
Now that's kind of an odd point to close with, but I think you'll see what I mean by that here at the end. What I mean by close proximity. Jesus is teaching us that by loving God supremely, we will be able to love others genuinely. You remember that story of the Good Samaritan I brought up where they said, Jesus, what must, we ha- what must I do to have eternal life? And Jesus says, hey, look, you've you got to love, um, love God with everything that you got. Love your neighbor as yourself. The question that had been asked to Jesus after his answer was, do y'all remember? Who is my neighbor? So who is our neighbor? Anybody want to take a guess? Your neighbor is the person that God puts right in front of you. It's the person closest to you. That's your neighbor. The parable of the Good Samaritan was used to help them to understand what was taught in Leviticus 19. Now, I I, I had planned to go through Leviticus 19 with you, but we're not going to have time. But just write down Leviticus 19, 1 through 18, and go back and read those verses because they... Look, it says, do this because I am the Lord your God. Do this because I am the Lord your God. Do this because I am the Lord your God. And it goes on and on. I think there's like nine or ten specifics. Do this because I am the Lord your God. And he gets to the end, and I'll show you. I'll get to the last verse here. You shall not go around as slander among your people, and you shall not stand up against uh, the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord your God. Here it is. You shall, take, uh, you shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love the Lord, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. I am the Lord. Now, do you remember when Jesus started this out? He said, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one God. Here's what Jesus is trying to say to us this morning Jesus is, is saying that we should love our neighbor as ourselves. He said, you should do this because I am the Lord, and we should do this because we are the Lord's. God is telling us why we should do it, because I am God, and I say, I say you should do this. And we say, yes, we will do this because we are yours, Lord. A neighbor is anyone in need who God brings in front of me. That's who a neighbor is. The command to love your neighbor as yourself is essentially telling us to treat other people as well as we treat ourselves. This is not some kind of self-help verse here. And some people say, well, I can't really love other people because I don't really love myself. I have not met anybody that don't love themselves. And it's proved because we live in a Snapchat, Instagram world. And y'all will... Y'all will snap and chat and take photos and Instagram 
and Facebook it and all the other social media apps out there. All of that says nothing but this. Here's the proof that we really love ourselves. That's what it is. And really what he means by that, everybody loves themselves because all of y'all, you feed yourself, you take care of yourself, you make sure you got what you need, you're always looking out for number one. Uh, the next time your feelings get hurt, guess what? That'll be a good reminder that, hey, guess what? I'm all about me. I really do like myself. And Jesus is not saying, hey, start loving yourself so that you can love your neighbor. He's saying, no, go ahead and love your neighbor like you already do love yourself. I knew that wouldn't get an amen. Scripture doesn't command us to love ourselves. It assumes that we already do. That's what's happening there. To love my neighbor as myself means I serve the needs of others with all the energy, passion, and zeal uh, with which I serve and attempt to meet my own needs. Love the person outside your window like you love the person you see in the mirror. If we love God with everything we have and, and love others as much as we love ourselves, we will engage in sharing the gospel. We, we won't be able to stop. Many, most, if not all of us, claim to be soldiers of Christ. We've gone AWOL during these last two years. And Jesus is calling us back to a life of loving our neighbor as ourselves. Those who are truly in God's kingdom will love God and thereby love those who God brings in front of them. That's what they'll do. So listen, here, here, here's what we're going to do. It's real easy to preach this message about loving your neighbor and not do, not do anything with it. Back probably six months ago or better, I preached a series of sermons when we were in the book of Romans, chapter 13, on hospitality. So here's what, here's what I'm going to ask you to do this morning in closing. Last week, I encouraged you to come to the altar and pray for people who didn't know Christ based on what we had read. And I'm going to ask you to come forward this morning. We're going to go back and sing the song that we sung right before the sermon was preached. So David, come on. We're going to go back and sing that song. But next Sunday, starting next Sunday morning, not during the preaching hour, because we're going to keep preaching through the book of Mark. I'm not going to slam on the brakes and stop and, 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 and do an alternate sermon series on this. But here's what I'm... Here, I'm going to ask you to make a commitment. I'm going to ask you to really make a serious commitment about learning how to love your neighbor. Youth, I'm calling you to this too. So next Sunday morning, for starting next Sunday morning, during our life group time, that, that's 10 o'clock in the morning. We're all going to meet in the gym. We're going to have some tables set up. We're going to have some information that we're going to give you. We're going to have a book that we're going to give you that we're going to kind of read through together. Uh, we're going to do a lot of talking around tables. Um, and what we're going to do is we're going to really flesh out for six weeks, not only what does it look like to love our neighbor, but we are as a church, not as Jason, or not as the admin team, or not as the deacons, even though I'm going to ask the deacons to lead out in this. So hear me, hear me on that, deacons. 
I'm going to ask you to lead out on this, and we're going to have a meeting very soon to talk more about this. But we're going to put some skin on this. We're going, we're, going, we're going to make the rubber meet the road on this. We're going to put boots on the ground, and we're going to come up with a way that going forward, that we're going to strategically love our neighbor as ourselves. And listen, not only love those that God puts in front of us, but love the people that God's already put around us. And so here's what I want you to do. No sign-up sheet, because I don't want to be disappointed by you signing up then not showing up, because that just hurts my feelings. I'm going to ask you to show up in the gym for six weeks. That's all I'm asking for. I'm asking you to come six times in the next six weeks at 10 o'clock in the morning, from 10 to 1045. And, and we might even... If y'all do good the first week, I might even, we might even start serving you breakfast for the final five weeks. But you got to do right to start with before you get rewarded with donuts or biscuits or something like that. Well, we'll see about that. But I want you to come. Why? Because the song like we're about to sing, guess what? There's people all around us. Don't you, don't you think for one second that because you live in the buckle of the Bible Belt, that there aren't people, lots of them, very close to you. Do you know how this ends? What did Jesus say to this guy? He said, boy, you've answered well, didn't he? Isn't that what Jesus said? You've answered well. And he says, you're not far from the kingdom of God. But what does that mean? He wasn't in the kingdom of God. And many of you, if not most, if not all of you in this room this morning, if I were to ask you, are you a Christian? You would say, yes. You would say, I'm in God's kingdom. Well, listen, there are people all around you far from the kingdom and many of them not far from the kingdom. And you know what they need? They need somebody to be their neighbor so that the love of God can be not just verbalized, but visualized. And people who are not so far, or people that are very far, can come from that position to the position of being, I'm in the kingdom. So I want you to stand. We're going to sing this song. And as we sing, if you need to pray, pray. But I, I'm, again, I'm asking you, let the words of this song, that is the result of loving God.